This afternoon, we'll listen to what we confess in Lord's Day 4 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 4. You find that on page 521 of the Book of Praise. So we're in the part of the Catechism about our sins and misery. And in question and answer eight of the previous Lord's Day, we confess, but are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. And then follows Lord's Day 4. But does not God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? No. For God so created man that he was able to do it, but man at the instigation of the devil in deliberate disobedience robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. Will God allow such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly displeased with our original sin as well as our actual sins. Therefore, he will punish them by a just judgment both now and eternally as he has declared, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. But is God not also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but he is also just. His justice requires that sin committed against the most high majesty of God also be punished with the most severe, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. So far, our confession of God's word. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ and boys and girls who as uh, children of believers belong to him too as we saw with the baptism here this afternoon, both baptisms. With the, the sacraments signifying and celebrating Christ's salvation this afternoon, it, it wouldn't sound like a really good time to be dealing with Lord's Day 4 about God's justice and his severe punishment for our sins, does it? We read and sang from Psalm 135 where the Spirit says, verse 3, Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. But how can we rhyme that with what we confess in Lord's Day 4 about God's displeasure with our original as well as our actual sins and with that everlasting punishment of body and soul required for sins committed against the most high majesty of God? Well, we can't fully understand everything because let's not forget our minds have been affected by sin too. And we always have a tendency to want to think in the opposite direction that the Bible points out for us. But Lord's Day 4 shows us that we truly have reason to praise God for His goodness and His grace as we celebrate that in the sacraments this afternoon too. Because, for it's because God is so angry with and punishes sins that we also can come to the confession of his goodness. And with that in mind, I preach to you the word of God as we confess that in Lord's Day 4 with this theme, then praise the Lord for he is good. And we see first that's why he doesn't change his law. 
Secondly, that's why he punishes sins. And thirdly, that's why his grace isn't cheap. The Lord is good, and that's why he doesn't change his law. We confessed with Lord's Day 3 how man fell into sin in paradise and how we all ended up being unable to do good of ourselves and inclined to all evil. What was God's reaction to the fall and to its effects? Did he say, well, that's sad, but I'll adjust myself to the new situation now? You realize that's actually the first question of Lord's Day 4, since because of the fall in paradise, we're now unable to do the good that pleases God, that can stand before God. Wouldn't it be good if this good God adjusted his requirements now to our reduced abilities? If he then said, okay, you can't obey perfectly anymore, so you don't need to, maybe 50% would be okay. Sometimes parents do that with children. Children can't always achieve the maximum parents would like of them, right? So parents will adjust accordingly. They don't just allow everything, but a bit of flexibility is wise and good, right, for parents. Well, wouldn't it be good then if our good God would do that too, that he just adjusts the requirements of his law and make them a bit more in line with our abilities, reduce things a bit, not require that, that perfection. But you know something? God sometimes does adjust to situations and abilities of people. And you can think of the baptisms here this afternoon. Baptism replaced circumcision. Noah didn't know circumcision. He had the rainbow. Later, God commanded Abram to circumcise his children through the generations. And later, Jesus abolished circumcision as visible sign and seal of the covenant and replaced it with baptism. A different situation every time. So God can change his requirements. He goes along with the times. He adjusts to new situations. Not every command of the Lord is totally unchangeable. Only... And we saw that with Lord's Day 2. The heart of the law is unchangeable because the substance of the law is love. Love. Love God above all and your neighbor as yourself. And that heart of the law never, ever changes. As the Apostle Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 13, prophecies will pass, knowledge will vanish. Love will never fail. Love remains. And that requirement of love, which is the heart of the whole law of God, that requirement, God will never adjust or change. If you think about it, could God say, well, you can love half, 50% or so? Love God and your neighbor. God's original intention to be his image and likeness and to have dominion over creation in love. Being man and wife as he intended in love. Loving your children and teaching them to love their God. Imagine that God would change that requirement of love. Imagine that he would adjust the boundaries and wouldn't require love anymore now that people can't love anyway. No. 
God is good. Many things and circumstances can change over time. Regulations can change. But the heart of it all cannot change. It remains with all the changes that have taken place. Love and righteous re righteousness remain uh, for God what it's all about. God maintains that command of love. Imagine that God made a compromise for the devil, made room for sin, because you sin anyway, let's make some room for it. Then the heart would have been taken out of everything. Then we would have what it says in Proverbs 25, verse 26, a righteous man who falters before the wicked, who adjusts to the wicked, is like a murky spring and a polluted well. To compromise in the face of outright sin is to pollute the whole well. It's to take the heart out of everything. And God would and could never do that because he is good. Praise him for he is good. He is love. He made man good and in his image. Praise the Lord for he is good. But man chose against God and so against love. Would it be good for God then to adjust, to compromise that law of love? No. God is good. He will not adjust the law of love. Is he being too strict then? No. For if God had given in to lovelessness, to hatred, then everything would become murky. And can you imagine then we would have to live with hatred in our hearts forever. And we'd ultimately be given up to hell where there is no love forever. But praise the Lord, for he is good. He didn't change his requirement of love, the requirements of his law. The Lord God went to work to restore love through, through showing love in his son. And we come to the second point of the sermon then. The Lord is good, and that's why he punishes sin. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we, we deal in this point with the second question and answer of Lord's Day 4. And in that question and answer, we confess God's wrath, his displeasure with sin. That's a, that's a horrifying business, that wrath of God. God's judgment against sin, his punishments, which culminate in hell. But we confess those things from the Bible. Think of the flood when the whole world perish. Think of Pharaoh, who in as Psalm 135 says, who perished in the Red Sea with his whole army. The conflict in Egypt today is, isn't really all that much compared to what God did then. Think of the destruction of Jerusalem and Israel's deportation to Babylon as punishment for their sin. Think of the last judgment when, as Jesus described, the wicked will be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some say, if those things come from God, how can God be good? But if you think about what people do in the world today, the criminality, the stealing, the rape, the abuse, the murder, the wickedness that's in the world day by day, is it any wonder that, as it says in Psalm 17, that God is a God who has indignation every day? Could he let that go? Do you think that can go on forever? Yes, God's punishments are terrible. But if you know God, then you'll shudder, not because of the punishment in the first place, but because of the seriousness of sin. 
the offenses in his presence. The punishment is severe, but how awful people's sins are to him in the first place. Every sin is like stepping on the heart of God, which is full of love and goodness. Think about it, and then you'll realize too, he can't let that sin go on and on and on. He is good. And in his goodness, then he also gets angry about sins. As the Bible says, God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his evil ways and live. No, God, God doesn't lose his temper and become irrational and unfair with his wrath against sin, but he is a jealous God who cannot forever tolerate evil and its root, which is hatred against him and his neighbor. He is good. He'll deal with it. And don't think that all this is only about sins and the hatred of unbelievers. No, God can be angry with his own people too. Think of Israel in the wilderness when they murmured against him every time again. Every time again. Think of David and Bathsheba and what the fallout of David's sin was even to the next generation. Think of the church at Laodicea we read about because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold. I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's what the Lord says, God's anger against his own people too. Do you realize that God can be angry with us, brothers and sisters? And I don't point that out to depress you or to scare you. But when our life is coasting along, then things can get pretty superficial, right? And then the love can grow cold. You know, and then especially one of the, the, canary, in, the canary in the mind there is our prayer life. It can slowly deteriorate. And our children, too. Hey, they can grow up playing violent games on computer or Xbox, and they, and they know all the bad words around. Funny they pick them all up, and they know them. And then we sing, praise the Lord, for he is good here in church. But do we realize that exactly because he's good, that he's also extremely upset about the lovelessness and the wrong in the church too? Do we remember, as the Apostle Peter writes, that judgment begins with God's own house? Brothers and sisters, and that includes you two boys and girls, let's never forget what the Bible says about God's wrath. Because it's exactly that because he's, a, he's perfectly good, that he has zero tolerance for sin and is extremely angry with it both now and eternally, as it says in Lord's Day 4. We can't always outline here where and how God's wrath works in this world today. What is punishment for one can be a test of faith to the other. I mentioned before that we can't fathom everything. As long as, as, long as we hold fast to this, praise the Lord, for He is good. That's why God is a warrior for truth and justice and righteousness. He is good. That's why he hates sin and is a consuming fire. 
but we confess that not to our fear and anxiety, but to our comfort as we listen and watch and take part in the sacraments of God's salvation today, because we realize then, too, what a wonder it is to be saved from that just anger of God and Jesus Christ. And then you have to think, who's going to be more thankful? Somebody who's saved from falling down a step or someone who's saved from falling over a cliff to their death, to their certain death with a thousand-meter drop-off? Who's going to be more thankful? And that brings us to the last point. The Lord is good, and therefore His grace doesn't come cheap. Praise the Lord, for He is good. Therefore, He doesn't change the requirements of His law. And therefore, he also is angry with sin and will punish it. But that's exactly why his grace is not cheap. You know that expression, I assume cheap grace, it means that God's grace is not that awesome, that it didn't cost him too much, that it's no big thing, but something that God just could shake out of his sleeve or so. And that idea comes to the fore in the last question and answer of Lord's Day 4, but is God not also merciful? In other words, okay, God's angry with sin. See that? But isn't he also just merciful and can't he just forgive like that? And the answer is God is indeed merciful. Praise the Lord for he is good. But God isn't just a bit good. He's totally, perfectly good through and through. And that's why there's no cheap grace with him. His mercy also always goes together with his righteousness. Imagine, brothers and sisters, that Clifford Olson, who sexually assaulted and murdered 11 children in British Columbia, would have come before the judge and said he was sorry and were a lot of tears and came on his knees and everything else. Should he be set free after destroying so many lives? We all realize justice has to be done, right? The man should be punished according to his crimes. Well, what do we expect from God then? He is good, and he's not going to sort of make things right again. You know, shove things under the rug for now. He wants to make things completely right, to show perfect and pure mercy. After all, we've made a mess of things with our sins and foolishness. And we deserve his wrath for it all. He who sins shall die. Things are not going to be fixed with cheap grace. That has to be made completely right if we're ever going to live with this good God again. That's why he wants everything to be made right again. And that's also why he saves completely. No cheap grace. Justice needs to be done to restore the love relationship with him again. There's hell to pay, as the saying goes. And that, brothers and sisters, brings us to what was signified in the baptisms this afternoon and what we're about to celebrate at the Lord's Supper here, too. It has everything to do with what we celebrate in the sacraments, the gospel we hold to. And the for Lord's the form for Lord's Supper, you know, they, that form is a wonderful thing. It, it states so clearly in the first part of self-examination what we're talking about here. It says there, first, and we'll hear it again later, first let everyone consider his 
or her sins and accursedness, so that he detesting himself may humble himself before God. For the wrath of God against sin is so great that he could not leave it unpunished, but has punished it in his beloved son, Jesus Christ, by the bitter and shameful death on the cross. That's what we're talking about here. There's no cheap grace. Jesus manifested God's full justice and his perfect mercy on the cross. He fulfilled God's whole law of love there. He bore the full punishment of hell, which we deserved. He bore that in our place. As Son of God who became one of us, he was able to do that. And thus, he manifested God's wonderful, wonderful mercy to us on the cross, the full justice of God and the perfect mercy of God came together, and that was for us. Praise the Lord, for he is good. Good in giving his son for us. Loved us so much he gave up his son he loved for us. There's no complaining about God's law then. And let's not get upset by his wrath as revealed in the Bible. And let's not live out of cheap grace. Let's celebrate God's amazing goodness at his table. And let's that, let that celebration set the tone for every day of our life. Then we'll always and everywhere be able to sing truly from our heart, praise the Lord, for he is good. Amen. Let's sing in response to the proclamation, Psalm 25, stanza 4. 